Thank you, Meg. Okay, Meg, what song is it? Help me out. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. I know the easy ones I always forget, right? If you're visiting with us, I always try and guess what song it is, and I don't do too great very often, so it happens that way. If I invite your attention this morning to First John chapter th- uh, 2, actually, First John chapter 2, verses 28 through uh, chapter 3, verse 10, First John chapter 2, verses 28 through 310. We've been going through a study the last several weeks of the book of First John, and we've been trying to ask this question, do I know I'm a Christian or not? How do I know I'm a Christian or not? And the question before us today is one, I think, and a friend on Facebook, if you have a Facebook, you can read his comment on there. A friend of mine, Brian Baker, hit this right on the head. What we are going to talk about this morning, church, is something that is so misunderstood in the church today that many, many people get this wrong to their detriment. And I mean that as seriously as I'm saying it. This is a very tough topic, but one that as we look at the scripture, I pray will be very, very clear to you. But this whole book of 1 John, as you know, is asking that question, do I really know Christ, or is it just lip service to who he is? And really, that is what the whole purpose of the Bible is, folks, is to know who God is. We studied that, didn't we, earlier this year? And by extension, am I a Christian, am I not? Not do I listen to the famous TV preachers, not did I join a church 50 years ago, not whatever, but do I truly, on my deathbed, have confidence, not in who I am, not in what I've done, but in what he is and what he has done on my behalf, that is the difference between a Christian or not. Serious words this morning, huh? They really, really are, but I think they're very, very important for us as we start out. You know, as I was thinking about opening an illustration, I I, I just had to think about identity, because that's kind of where those opening comments come from. Who are you? You know, if I were to ask you that question, who are you? Many of you would say, well, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother. I was a Royals fan until I believe that they can't make the playoffs for the third straight year. You know, whatever it is, matters of figuring out identity are very close to us, aren't they? People spend their whole lives sometimes. That's the plot of most major movies is who am I? People go through these stages and stories, and some people go up to the high mountains to find that lonely, uh, uh, you know, kind of Hindu monk way up in the mountains, the sage that has the wisdom for life. Well, thankfully, we don't have to do that, but people really today want to know who they are, don't they? I mean, we know who we are, maybe in our family, but really, who are we? But sometimes trying to identify someone can just be a matter of curiosity. Oftentimes we have bigger interests in curiosity. You know, we have several in our, our church who work at the airport, and many people in today's society with all the terrorism going on have, have uh, misconceptions or perhaps rightly placed conceptions about certain groups of people and other things. And we often look with a more critical eye, don't we, than we did even 20 years ago about people, even walking down the street. But sometimes we need to know who we are, not just who is up and coming or is this person going to do something terrible, but who am I? Who really am I? And sometimes it's easier for the outside people to help us with that. You know, in America, Christians are said to be over 90% of people in America identify themselves as Christians. Does anyone think that's just a little bit odd? 90% of people claim to be Christian. But on any given Sunday, the average church attendance is less than 15% of the total American population. But yet they identify themselves to be Christian. So are we misplaced on what our identity is? I think we can say that's quite fair. You know, most people today can know who they are simply by looking around at the culture. Because they say, well, I'm like that person or I'm like that person. 
But friends, figuring out who you are in the culture is far less important than figuring out who you are before the thrice holy God of Scripture. Would you agree with that? Because if you miss who you are before God and you get everything else right about your identity before other people, you have missed what the Scripture talks about. I love Galatians 2.20. Mark, thank you for helping us memorize through song. I believe there's also a song for this verse as well. Galatians 2.20. Paul knew who, what his identity was. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Friends, let us remind ourselves this morning that who you are is not what you have done in this life. Many of you are more accomplished than I will ever be, than any of us may ever be in this room. But your identity is what Paul said here in Galatians. Your identity is in Christ. And that's why it's so important as we come together as a church each Sunday, because we need to be reminded of that. Because some of us have had terrible weeks this week where nothing went right, everything went down the drain, and it stunk. Literally or otherwise, it stunk. Some of you are coming off weeks where you had the highest of highs, you had the best week you've had in weeks, and, and it was great. But what we need to remember is this. Our identity is not in what we do, it is in what Christ has done for us. Amen? That is our identity. And so the questions we have to ask then is, can you really know those who are not Christian from those who are? It's exactly what we're going to study today. Another test of faith that John throws at us. The big idea comes right out of this, because so many people struggle with what we're going to talk about. And the big idea is simply this. It's our perseverance, our keeping of the faith, isn't the fruit of our resolve, but it's the result of God's faithfulness. So, Darren, didn't we talk about this, like, way back when with God's faithfulness? Yes, we did. But you see how these themes go through all Scripture, all the time. They go back and forth. So that's the question. Can you know who you are as a Christian and not persevere in your faith? I'm talking about someone who walks the aisle, prays a superficial prayer, magical prayer, whatever that may be, claims to know Christ, and walks away from the faith for years and never turns back to Christ. Did that person truly know Christ? Or what about the person who got baptized as a child, but after they left they, to go to college or workforce, they never come back? Is that person truly a Christian? Well, John's going to help us answer those questions, friends. And let's be very careful. We do not have, I've told you before, you know, Matt and I are working on the app where we can scan it, right? And say, beep, Christian, beep, beep, or not a Christian. We'd love to do that. It would run the app store, and it would win all sorts of awards, I'm sure. But one thing I know that we cannot do is play Salvation Police. John's not asking us to do that today. But what he is asking us to do is to ask the question, can I be a Christian but not walk forever in the Christian life? Am I just a one and done? Am I just one of those, uh, you know, seeds in the March Madness playoff tournament, March Madness basketball tournament that wins a big game and then they face the number one seed and they act like they're a high school team against college players, you know? Is that the type of Christianity that we have? Friends, I'm here to tell you that the type of Christianity that God has is one that keeps you in the faith if you truly know him. So we're going to ask ourselves two questions. Why persevere? Why try? If you're a Christian, why persevere? And what does perseverance look like? How do I know that I know that I know I'm truly a Christian? Because I bet if I were to ask each of you, if you walk out the door, do you know someone in your life who claimed to be a Christian at one time, but now has walked completely far away from the faith? Friend, the question is, is did that person really have saving faith 
to begin? Or was it just lip service to get the Jesus shot enough to get the preacher out of the face? And that's very real for a lot of people. That's the question we're going to ask this morning. With that in mind, will you join me in standing as we read God's Word together? Uh, This is an old tradition. I have some visiting friends here from another church, from my former church, Sycamore Hills. Uh, I stole this from them, just so you know. But God's Word steals it from God's Word, as uh, my good friend Brother Willie would definitely say. 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 10. Excuse me. And the Bible says this. And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, that's Christ, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us or lavished on us, or our manner of love, that we should be called children of God or sons of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That's Christ. Because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin at all. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. But little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever practices sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning since the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, but God's seed abides in him, and he can't keep sinning because he has been, he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. This is the whole sermon right here. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful this morning that you are God, that we are not. Father, I thank you that your word is so clear on this issue. I pray that you bring us clarity, Father. Father, we would pray for all those who have professed to know you but have walked away from the faith that, Father, they would truly come to know you. Father, we know that Christians sin. We know that we err. Father, and I, I'm so grateful that chapter 2, verse 1 says, If anyone sins, we have an advocate, the one who is before the Father. Father, be glorified this morning. We thank you for these things, and we pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Maybe seated. Excuse me, I'm going to cough for just one second. <coughs> Excuse me, anyone else fighting allergies right now? A few of you all. I've had it. I don't want it, and you can have it if you want it. You can take it home with you. You know, the last few weeks we've had, been in asking these questions. How can we know anything was the first question we asked. How can we know anything? And John told us at the very start, we can know everything because he was an eyewitness of what God gave. We asked another question, can I know God and keep sinning? We recognize the fact that Christians are not perfect this side of heaven, but those who truly know Christ will have a pattern of repenting of their sin and going to Christ alone for forgiveness. Then we asked that question about three weeks ago, can I know God and not obey Him? That sounds like a a self-defeating question, doesn't it? Isn't that obvious, pastor, that a Christian will obey God? Well, these false teachers in John's day were saying, no, you can know Christ and go live as go live and what stays in 
Corinth, or what stays in Vegas stays in Vegas. No one needs to know. God doesn't care. You got saved. That's what they were saying. And we said, no, if you're a Christian, you won't perfectly obey because you're not perfect this side of heaven, but the pattern of your life will be one of focus on Christ. Then Matt did a wonderful job of answering that question, can I know God and love the world? Check out that sermon online. Last week, we asked the question, can I know God and deny the truth? And we said, no. You cannot say you're a Christian and say all these other religions are true. You have to believe Christ is the only way. And so now we come to this question. A question, folks, that if you have wayward children, a question that if you know someone who has ever professed Christ and walked away from it, this is the answer to the question. Can I know God and not persevere in my faith? It's a great question to answer. Because these false teachers were going back and saying, look, these people, John, and all the apostles are wrong. You can live for Christ whenever you want to live for Christ, but not necessarily when Christ says live for Christ. Parents, that would be anarchy in your home. Follow your mom and dad's instructions when you want to feel like it, not when they necessarily say it, when anyone agree with that. Try that once in a while. It would be anarchy. And so John asked the question, why persevere? Look back at verses 28 and 29. He says we should persevere first off because of how God will love us in the future. Verses 28 and 29. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back in, his shame, in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is like a king visiting a city. Uh, how many of y'all get? How many of y'all hate when people come to your house because you actually have to clean your house? Amen. Anybody? A lot of you are like that. And John is saying kind of the same thing. The coming of Christ here is an image of a king visiting a city. It's a cause for great celebration. We love when our family comes in, or I hope you love when your family comes in, right? But there's got to be some cleanup, and it brings some serious accounting, John says, where the past wrongs would be addressed and righted. When the king comes or when the boss comes to visit, man, one of my best friends is an apartment manager, and when the boss comes to visit, every hedge is trimmed, every door is painted. I mean, it's all out. And some of you all hire cleaning people to double-check what you clean to make sure it's super clean. But what makes you so sure, though, John says, that God will accept you? What is your confidence? How do you know for sure that God will accept you? John says that this great God is one that has loved us now and will love us in the future, but he is coming again. And because of that, the Bible says that we have all quarreled with God. We have all presented Christ's coming as simply another thing that happens in life and have often forgotten that when Christ comes, he comes as a returning king, not just as a family member coming to visit for a few days. Aren't you grateful that God's kingdom is one that lasts forever, not just as long as we want it to last? Because, friends, when God comes back, a lot of people will say, man, that's been great, God. Well, I'll see you later. See you, God. You can go now. And, and he says, no. He says, if you're a Christian, you will love that God loves you now and will love you in the future. That's a way you know that you're a Christian, first off. And at Christ's coming, I will be glad to get that resurrection body, whatever that looks like, but gladder still to be rid of my sin and this lifelong cloud of felt unokayness. Does that make sense? Anyone ever feel like that? Even when you're forgiven in Christ, you feel like you still haven't done enough. Friends, Christ's forgiveness is enough to forgive you now of everything you've ever done. That's why, and I have great respect for people who do this, 
the people who can go into prisons and talk to death row inmates, people who have done such heinous, horrendous things in life and can look at them and say, despite what you have done, God forgives you. That's why you pray till that last breath for someone. I have been at too many death sides where people have rejected Christ till the very end. And it is a, it's, it's, a, it's more than a Debbie Downer. It is terrible because people forget that Christ can save. And look at verse 28. What makes you confident at his coming? Look, some are going to shrink back. Some are going to say, stay away, Jesus. I want nothing to do with you. Get out of here. But Christians should continue in Christ and persevere. How do you know you're a Christian? Boy, you get excited about the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? That is an exciting thing. If you're a Christian, that should warm your heart. We may be certain and confident that we will be accepted as righteous because of Christ. Friend, if you are afraid of dying, please do not be. If you're a Christian, you have great confidence here. He says that the way you show you're a Christian is that you do not shrink back at his coming. There's no shame. There's no shame. Now, someone may say, well, Darren, is it, doesn't it also mean, though, that we can uh, start and uh, shouldn't we live for Christ every day? And if we're in sin when he comes, look, if you are in Christ, you are saved in Christ. Amen? That is it. You can never lose that salvation. But be careful. If you take that too far, you are going right where the false teachers have gone. He says you will know you persevere because you love Christ's coming. He goes on. He says, secondly, we can persevere because of how God has loved us. We sang this verse, we've read this verse, but look back at verse, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason that the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. John is amazed about how fully God has loved us. Friends, I don't know if you've ever just sat there and just pondered mind-blowingness of God's love for you. Despite your rebellion, despite your rambunctiousness, to use that silly word, despite everything that you are, God still loves you. He didn't love you because you had any ounce of faith in you, friend. You had nothing in you that God loved. God created you in his image, yes, but remember, you bring nothing to the table. He didn't look down the corridor of time and say, oh, Darren's going to have a little bit of faith. I choose him. No, you brought nothing to the table. The only thing you brought to the table was your rebellion and your sin. That's why John can look and say, see what kind of love the Father has given unto us. And a Christian, why persevere? Why persevere, Christian? Because of this love. This love has been demonstrated. Why do we trust in an itinerant rabbi who walked the deserts of a country many of us will never visit in our lives? Why, why trust in this guy from 2,000 years ago? Because he was God. He wasn't just a man. He was fully God fully man, and he gave his life for you. Christian, that is the amazing thing about God's love. God's love is amazing not only for its perfections, the faith lesson up there will say, but its endurance in the face of all sin. When you really mess up in this life, and you really will mess up in this life, you need to remember this verse. How great is the love that God has lavished on us. You know, I think it's cool when I get a card in the mail, does anyone still like to get those old cards? In the, I say old-time cards, like they're still not out there. But how many of y'all have never gotten a card in the mail before? Anybody? Okay, Matt, we're going to send you one. I see you in the back there. You're getting one, Matt, in the mail. You know, I love cards in the mail because they really show. You can send a text message all day. I love texting. I love Facebook. Most of my communication actually goes out because you all do that. So I mirror what you do mostly. But 
those old-time cards. Judy in our office does a great job of writing out birthday cards to everyone and sending those out. And she signs it because if I wrote it, you couldn't read it. Amen? That's right. If you've seen my writing, you know that to be very, very true. But friends, what we know is this. We persevere because God has written the greatest love letter, and it is written right here in this book. You don't have to go anywhere else. Really, nowhere else. It's right here in Christ. And Christian, if you have forgotten the simple fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son for you, and if that is just a mental gymnastic instead of a heart-melting truth in your life, then you need to repent of that. It should be a brain-numbing thing, but that brain-numbing thing should turn into praise because that's all John can say here. Look, how do you know you're a Christian? Why persevere? Because He has given us love. And He says the reason that the world doesn't know it is because they don't know Him. What a status, what a privilege can you think of a time when Christ has not loved you? I can think of a time when even our young kids, there have been times so frustrating where it's like, why, why? And you think, you know, parents, you've had those thoughts go through your mind. This is hard work. Why, why? Even when we have given God the hardest of hard, He still loves us. What an amazing God He is. Amen? God is so good. He says, secondly, He says, we should persevere why? First, because God's loved us in the future. He's loved us lavishly. Thirdly, He's loved us not for the popularity with this world. Not for the popularity with this world. Look back at verse 1. He says, The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. It did not know Him. John deals with the question that would arise is, why don't people around the world know this? You know, maybe you've had that same thought. You know, if Jesus was resurrected, why didn't He just go into Jerusalem and just say, Hey, here I am. Well, he did, and they still rejected him. Why don't people around the world know this? John says that people don't know then because they did not know Jesus. The world treated Christ that same way. This is why we send missionaries, friends. This is why we believe in a sovereign God who uses man as, as sinful as we are to go and share the gospel because it's not about the popularity of this world. If the church ever becomes popular in the world's eyes, run from that church. If the church ever becomes so celebrated by the world, then friends, I would dare say that you have the wrong church. It's going to be honest. This is why. Be very, very careful what church you attend. Some of you are visiting. We're so grateful you're here. We are not perfect people here. But John says this privilege, this status of knowing the Father's love has certain responsibilities. And it means that we as a church will never seek the popularity of this world. The church tried that through the Dark Ages, and it's called the Dark Ages for a reason, right? It really is. Friends, the church is not supposed to be the popularity social club of the world. It is supposed to be about what Christ has done for us. And we are going to make a stand. And when we make a stand, that is going to have people leave. And we don't do that willy-nilly. We don't do that silly. We don't do that in some cavalier way. But we do stand on truth, knowing that God has so loved us, so we cannot but love Him. And when we love Him, that means sometimes we have to take hard stands. That's why we don't believe, as the folks with, in Unity Village, that just believe what you want to believe because it's all, it's all the same road up the mountain. Well, if it's all the same road up the mountain, then why is there only a cross that gets you to the other side? It doesn't make any sense. Friends, it is either Christ or nothing. Christ or nothing. Christian, if you're here today, God doesn't need His church to be popular to accomplish His purposes. Aren't you grateful for that? 
because you picked the wrong pastor for that job. Because I tell you what, popularity doesn't run through my veins. I was the guy who was, uh, you know, you went to get the yearbook signatures. I was the guy that wouldn't get many yearbook signatures, I guess. I wasn't popular at all. Still not popular at all. Don't want to be popular. But you know what? Friends, this church, you know, sometimes we pray that prayer. God, if you could save this celebrity, this really big celebrity, then people would have this great influence for Jesus Christ. No, look, don't go there. We live in a culture of personality, right? You follow this personality, you follow that personality. Corinth had this problem. I follow Paul. I follow Cephas. I follow all these people. Don't go there. Follow Christ, Christian. That is where it's at. We don't, look, if God sees fit to save LeBron James to become a Christian, then praise the Lord. Amen? That's great. That would be awesome. I love, I'm not a big basketball fan, but he's pretty good at basketball, right? If God can save Michael Jordan, he can save anyone. And I mean that with all respect to Michael Jordan. It is not about who gets saved as much as about the church remembering we don't need popular people. We need the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit working in God's people. And that starts when we remember that it's not for a popularity that we do this. It's not for popularity. Let's move on to number four. Why should we persevere? We should persevere because how God is loving us even in this moment. Look at verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will Uh, What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Because God is at work in your life, Christian, we should be working to purify ourselves from sin. Please don't hear me wrongly. This is not Lloyd Legalist or something like that. This is God saying that God's people will be unique in the way they live their lives. Christians, many of you have been hurt by legalism in the church. What I mean by legalism is, uh, for instance, you can't watch the Royals game because that's sinful. I don't know if some of you have heard that before. I've heard someone tell me that before. That's when they were losing in their seasons. I don't know what that person would say now. That's what they've said before. That's legalism. Legalism has hurt the church in many ways. It's people living out rules like the Jews did with no grace balancing with what Christ has done. Many of you have been hurt by that. But we also have to balance this on the other side. You can, lose, you can live such a loose life in Christ that you lose any influence that you had for Jesus Christ. Do you see the balance that must be there with grace and law in the life of a believer? Our minds are consumed by something. We are what we worship. I don't know what that is for you. Some of you worship the idol of the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. That will happen this year, right? I hope so. Rick, I really hope so, because we just had this conversation a little bit ago, and I'm not saying that at all in that sense, but what I am saying is this. So whatever it is you worship, maybe it's a perfect garden. Some of you are great green thumbs, and you have, if you could just get your garden to look like that home magazine, then man, life would be hunky-dory, right? Or if your kids just acted in a certain way, or if you drove this car, if you did whatever it is, remember, you are shaped by what you worship. And what John is telling you here is, look, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet happened, but we know when he appears, we will be like him. Friends, I look forward to the day when we will be like Jesus Christ, because the only thing we can worship is what we will become, and what we will become is fully clothed in his righteousness once and for all. What a great day that will be. And friends, this is why our church, our church is a church for people who are changing. Our church is a people who are changing. We are not people who are, we are not people who are dead in our sins, but neither are we done with our struggles here on this earth. 
We are people who are even now being changed by God's grace at work in our lives. Look, our church is, as any church should be, a church is not just for non-Christians. Can we break that big elephant in the room? We do not make a church to attract people to the church based on worldly methods. We make a church to attract those who want to change and grow in Jesus Christ. And absolutely, anyone who wants to come in may come in. But it's for that purpose that we have the church. You say, Darren, that's really shocking to say. Friends, we have gone through the last 30 years of attractionalism. Look, if you are attracted to the things of the church, you will never be attracted to the Savior. Because those things of the church will go away. I remember a great man, uh, a man of God, I said I went to a camp, a super summer, still around that super summer camp. I know, uh, uh, Amanda, you took the youth there last year with some of our adults. And one guy at super summer, there was some talk amongst the teenagers of that time. They said, man, teenagers said, man, if I could just have all these lights at home and have that guy playing the guitar with the cool hair and everything else, and my life would be amazing. I would live for Jesus every day. And the guy asked him, the leader said, so are you going to take that guy to class with you? Are you going to put the lights up in the locker room? I mean, what are you going to do? Their view of Christianity was, if I just had this, this way, the way I like it, this, this way, the way I like it, then God is good. Friends, God is good because Christ so loved us even when we were yet sinners. That is the God of this world. You know what? Let's, let's just go right into the illustration. Who wants to be rich today? A lot of, no hands go up except the youth in the back. Matt, you may need to address that, so we'll let that be what it is. But, you know, if I take this $100 bill, how many of y'all would honestly, if this $100 bill, want this $100 bill? Be honest. Come on, church people. You're in church of all people. Uh, if I had $100 to give away, I might. But uh, if I were to take this bill and start crumpling it up badly, how many of y'all would still want the $100 bill? What if I threw it on the floor and I went, boom? Oh, well, that didn't work too well. How many of y'all would still want it? What if I tore it in half? Three parts. Who would, still, who would still want this $100 bill? One hand goes up. Several hands go up. What if I threw it out the window? How many of y'all would still want it? You're not going through the window. Nick already did. That's right. You know, the fact is, you would still want the $100 bill. Why? It, it still has its value, doesn't it? It really does. Friends, in this life, many of you are like that $100 bill. You look great at some times, and you're like, "Woo, crisp $100 bill, just fresh from the bank, straight out of the ATM. And sometimes life takes a twist for you. Sometimes it takes a rip out of you. It takes a rip this way and a rip that way. And literally, some of you want to throw it all life out the window. Why do you persevere? Because God is holding you before salvation. Before you loved him, he first loved you. What a great truth that is even when you weren't shiny and new, even when you became a new Christian and life was exciting. Woo, I love Jesus and you just can't get enough. And you go from those conferences and the camps and you go back to your normal church and it's like you hit the mountaintop. It's like, oh my, back to reality. And then you go on through all that of life, God is holding you. We don't know what yet will become, but a Christian who's truly a Christian, no matter how you get tossed and turned and thrown in all that way, is still a crisp hundred dollar bill, so to speak in God's eyes, because it's Him who's doing the work in you. Aren't you grateful for that? Why do you persevere? Because no matter where you are with this $100 bill thing in your life, no matter what trials you face, God is holding you until the end. And a true Christian will know that. Many 
people come to know Christ by way of what the church offers them. What can Jesus do for me today? Friends, if that is your Jesus, then you know not the Jesus of Scripture. Because look, the Jesus of Scripture says that his followers will be like this, and this, and this, and this, all the day long, until he returns. And that is a mark that they know that one true God. I don't have a hundred dollar bill, so don't ask. But if I did, if I did, we might just have to rip it. No, I'm just kidding. We'll let that one be what it is. Do you see why you should persevere? Because God has forgiven you of all your sins. Let's move on to the last point. So what does perseverance look like then? Darren, I know I need to persevere. What does this look like? Even if I've been abused, stepped on, or whatnot, I've not lost value in Christ. I get that, but what does perseverance look like? How do I know that I'm not just one of those people who says, I know Christ, but there's no fruit behind it? Let's move on. John answers that question. We'll go fast through these next little points. Why persevere? He told us, because Christ has loved you before, middle, and after. He will hold you through all that time. What does it look like? First off, a persevering Christian has their guilt dealt with. Look at verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. There's a great definition of sin if anyone ever asks you what it is. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin at all. Look, John contrasts the teachings of a church with biblical doctrine of holiness in that it's basic for a Christian. If you are a Christian and you have no desire to be holy as God is holy, then God says you do not know him. That's why in verse 4 it highlights what we offer to God. We give God sin and we give God lawlessness. That's what it says. In verse 5 we see Christ's response. Even when we sinned against him, Christ accepted that punishment and took it away. Wow. Try that in any relationship and see how that goes. It is necessary to understand who Christ is and to accurately understand what he has done. <coughs> Excuse me. I've been holding that in for a while. Understanding Christ's person is essential to his nature. Look, friends, Jesus Christ was the incarnate Son of God. He was sinless. No, there was no possibility that Christ could have sinned. Don't th- play that theological gymnastic in your head. Look, he lived in earth a perfect life. He died the death we couldn't die, and he lived the life we couldn't live for our salvation. If you're not a Christian here today, how great is God's love towards you? If he were anyone else, his sins would rightly condemn him, but he was the perfect one. He was the only righteous one. That old illustration, I've used it here at least one time, which is closer to God in in, in a toilet? If I can use that illustration, is the water closer to God or is an angel closer to God? Or more like God, I should say. Which is more like God, the angel or the, the toilet water? The answer is neither. They're not. None are like God. No one could stand in God's place. So an angel couldn't die for you. You couldn't throw water on yourself to save you. It was God in the flesh who died for our sins and made atonement for us, was the only one who could ever save us. That's why those who are truly Christian have their guilt dealt with. Because Christians know no matter how deep your sin, God's grace is deeper. No matter how great your guilt, God's grace is greater. Amen? Some of us sitting here today feel guilty. Others do not. All of us are guilty. Our perception of guilt and the thing itself are very different. But friends, what I want you to know is that if you feel no guilt over your sins, 
then you have not persevered with the love of Christ. You are not in Christ. Everyone who practices sinning also practices lawlessness. You are kidding yourself if you say, I'm a Christian, but have no remorse over your sin. God will put you, Christian, on a leash, so to speak. I do not, I'm not a dog guy. So if I ever go to your house and I act weird around dogs, that's why, okay? I'm a bird, fish, and hermit crab type guy. You can make fun of me later. It is what it is. But one thing I know about dogs, because we used to have one, and that's why I don't like dogs, is we used to have one of those retractable leashes, right? And you can let the dog go to a certain point, and what happens? It pops back. If you are a Christian, that is how God treats you for the holiness of his name. God will let you sin, Christian, to a certain point. It's almost like that, 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 uh, that leash is going out, and it goes and it goes and it goes and it goes. But at some point, to prove you are a Christian, God is going to be like that dog running off. It's going to pop back. You know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all have dogs, by the way? God bless you. I'll pray for you. Amen? It pops back. And that is what he is saying. Those who are truly Christian, why persevere? What does this look like? It means that you have had your guilt dealt with, Christian. It doesn't mean you won't be guilty about something any more time, but a Christian is someone who eternally has gone to the Savior, Christ alone, and said, forgive me for all my sins. I have rebelled against you. Because all we bring to the table is sin and lawlessness. Why do you persevere? You persevere because Christ loved you. And what does that look like? Your guilt has been dealt with once for all in Christ. He goes on in verse 6. He says, a persevering Christian has a relationship with God. And this is, seems very obvious, but we need to expound this for just a minute. Verse 6, he says, no one who abides in him, Christ, keeps on sinning. No one keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Again, John is contrasting two things here. Those who are persevering in Christ, continuing on in Christ, and those who, uh, with those who keep sinning and have neither seen or known him. The contrast is severe. In becoming a Christian, please hear this, in becoming a Christian, a change happens. We move from living to sin to living in Christ. If you are a Christian, you have a new relationship with sin. You just do. We are estranged, have now been reconciled, and we have a relationship with God. But these false teachers were coming and saying, no, 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 no. John is wrong, they said. You can still have a relationship with God and live it up as much as you want to. If that is your attitude, you know not Christ. Friends, this is why we have to be very careful about proclaiming someone to be saved or not saved. Matt, myself, uh, pastoral staff will examine a baptismal candidate till we are blue in the face. Why? Because we are the salvation police? No, remember, we don't have an app for that yet, right? Because we want to know, is this just someone doing this because grandma, grandpa, pastor, Sunday school teacher said, go get baptized? Or is there really fruit, even in a young life? And by golly, I love young kids, right? They're the most honest of the bunch. Have you ever sinned before? Yes! Adults? No. <laughs> I, I make mistakes. Well, call it what you will, it is, it is what it is. But a real relationship with God will have changed. Why do you persevere? Because Christ loved you. And what does this look like? It means there has never been a moment in your relationship with God when the love you are getting is the love you deserve. Do you see that difference? Someone who's not a Christian will say, man, if I just knew that this Jesus thing wasn't going to work out, I would never have done it. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, 
when asked, why aren't you in church anymore? Are you a Christian? I've tried Jesus, and that just doesn't work for me. Has anyone ever heard that before? A couple head nods, a few hands go up. What are they saying? They're saying that Jesus wasn't what was sold to them in a package of goods. Come to Jesus, and he'll give you peace, joy, happiness, all these things. Those, that is true. But that is a byproduct of knowing eternal life. If you know Jesus, you have a relationship with God first and foremost. Don't sell the extra details to get someone in the door. That's why as Christians here, and I appreciate Becky and Judy and all that back to school, we didn't try and jazz it up. Here's, here's the gospel. We're going to help your need, but here's the gospel. That's why as missionaries, and I think this is a great endeavor, as missionaries, we don't just go dig wells, right? Anyone can dig a well. Well, I can't. You guys can. I'm not strong enough to do that. Anyone can dig a well. But it's Christians who can dig a well and say, you see this living water? Praise God, you have clean water, right? And we should support those endeavors. But come around and say, have you heard about the living water, Jesus Christ? That is the difference. Friends, that's why at this church, I pray as long as Tower View exists, and I pray it's three, four hundred years more, as long as the Lord, whatever happens with that, that as a church, we are not going to bait and switch people to coming to Jesus Christ. There's no need. If Christ isn't enough for them, then nothing you give them, I give them, our church gives them, will ever be enough. John says, what does perseverance look like? You have a relationship with God. Wow. Not a relationship you can change on Facebook 5,000 times. He loves me. He loves me not. I'm his best friend. He unfriended me. He quit following me on Twitter. Oh, shame the day. This relationship you have with God is founded on Christ, his person, and his work. God is so good. God is so good. Two more things will be done. Persevering Christians, thirdly, have actions that change. Look at verses 7 and 8. Little children, he, he, John gets the argument. It's happening today. Little children, it's a term of endearment. Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Verse 8, whoever practices sinning of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning, that's the reason the Son of God has appeared. Look, if, if we call ourselves Christians, it follows that we are characterized by what is doing what is right. That is not, let me be very clear on this, this is not just voting by a certain party a certain way. Look, friends, that is, this is not politicalness here. This is not being, this is not going back to a golden era of America. This is, if you know Christ, your whole person changes. And that affects all those things I mentioned. But primarily, you are changed because your actions indicate your nature. I don't know about you, but there's an old illustration that goes something like this. If you, how many of y'all lived on a farm? Be honest. It's okay. It's no shame in that. I was a city folk in a town in 2000. I've, I've been on farms, but it's mainly for preschool tours and other things. That's how it goes. You know, if you had a farm and you had pigs at your farm, what do pigs like to eat? They like to eat slop. If I had a bucket, a slop up here, and we let the pig loose from the back, and the pig came running down, but it wasn't slop. It was, it was CeCe's Pizza. That pig, or well, let's say, uh, let's, what's something a pig wouldn't eat? Um, uh, McDonald's, you know. Uh, or whatever it is, the pig comes down, and the pig eats, and the, pig, the pig's just going to town, right? It's slop. It's all the stuff that the pig likes. And what if I had the power, and I cannot snap my fingers. I've told you this before. You have to pretend with me. Snap with me. Ready? One, two, three. Snap. And that person, or that, that, that pig turned into a person, 
completely in their birthday suit, and, and they were up here, and they were that pig turned into a person, and they were eating that slop, they would look back at you, and what would they feel? They would feel ashamed. Why are you eating the slop? That's nasty. Who does that? Ooh, that's gross. What happened when that pig came down? There was a change. There was a snap, a change. That person doesn't eat the slop because the person knows that slop is only for the pigs. Do you see what I'm saying? A Christian is someone whose actions change. I'm not talking about being just a moral person. Look, you can train a child to be the most moral, um, most moral uh, hallway monitor type personality in the world, and they know not Jesus Christ. We have a lot of those floating around in most churches today. But if you want change, that change comes from having a relationship with God, because all of us are like that pig coming down, eating that slop before Christ. But as soon as the Holy Spirit snaps, and we see our sin, and we repent and believe the gospel, we have a new relationship, and our actions change. Church, this is why if someone says they know Christ, and it has been 50, 60 years since they even wanted anything to do with the things of Christ, we are not the salvation police, but we will know them by their fruit. Share the gospel with them. Don't assume just because someone is on a church membership role, they've walked an aisle, they've gone down the street, they've talked to someone about Christ, they say they know Christ, that they are a Christian. That doesn't mean you have to go up with your badge. I am Jesus police. Show me your salvation card right now. It's not what we're saying. But if you're a Christian, your actions will change. And if you claim the name of Christ and there's no change in you, be careful because that just shows you know not Jesus. Behavior problems are belief problems. Doctrine is inextricably tied to our actions. Let's close with this. Friends, he says here that persevering Christians will see God's victory. We'll see God's victory. I don't know what happened on the screen. We'll just let that be what it is. That's my fault. But friends, he says here, he says, Why did the Son of God come? Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, but the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Look, that's what Christ came to do. Do not believe ancient theology that says that Satan has this great power that Jesus had to wrestle away from him. Jesus has all power for all time, anywhere, everywhere, wherever you go, Jesus is with you. But what he came to do once and for all is to prove there is no other way to heaven but through Christ. We have seen the victory. Look at verse 9, a little behind here. But no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seeds abide in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has seen or because he has been born of God. Let us be very, very clear here, church, as we close. This is not saying that a Christian will not sin. We talked about that a few sermons ago in chapter 1. What it is saying is that Christ's mission is accomplished, the devil's work has been destroyed, and a Christian will not make a practice of sinning. A practice. If the direction, the trajectory, if the linear view of your life is nothing but the guilty pleasures that the Bible speaks against, and there is no remorse, no repentance, no guilt over those under the holiness of God, then what John is simply saying is you know not Jesus. What does perseverance look like? Perseverance means that you can fight through your sin. This is why many of you who, who know someone who's fought an addiction before, and you know addictions are tough, whether it's sexual addiction, whether it's pornography or uh, drug or eating or whatever it is, it is not trite to say that in Jesus' name they can overcome that addiction. There will be some struggle. There will be struggle. Absolutely will be struggle. 
But through Christ, they can overcome that. Does that mean they're perfect? No, that's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is that Christ's mission has been accomplished. The devil has been destroyed. And a Christian is someone who's persevered through that because they see God's victory. Friends, if you're fighting an addiction here today, please know you're not alone. All of us have addictions in some ways. I'm addicted to, to the Royals winning, right? You know that. And probably CeCe's Pizza and running and all those things. I share all the time. But one thing that is true is that through Christ's power, we can know the deliverance of Christ. We really, really can. Close with this illustration. You can go ahead and hit the next slide for me, Miss. Uh, thank you, Miss Amy. In February 2016, in England, a 21-year-old mother, Emily Davis, was arrested because she was using her deceased grandmother's handicap parking sticker. And when questioned about her illegal use by the police officer in England as to why she was using this as a parking privilege, Davis calmly explained. She was simply using it in her grandmother's honor. Let that sink in for a second. I thought about this as I saw this come across the headlines a few weeks ago. Friends, this is the kind of person that we talked about today who says they know Christ only to know him and his church for his or her own benefit. If you're a Christian, you don't borrow Christ's power, Christ's access, Christ's church for your own end. It's for his end, for his glory. That's the mark of a Christian. Let's be clear. Sin matters. But the problem, John says, is this. Can a person know God without persevering? The answer is no. If you know someone who has walked away, quote-unquote, from the faith, it's very likely that they never came to know that faith to begin with. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you today, as we do the things that you called us to do, as the sermon went a little longer today, I pray that this is so abundantly clear. Father, we are not saved by what we do, nor are we saved by the things that we say, Father, but we are saved by faith alone and Christ alone, and that will come out in a certain way. Father, we know that there are many people in our lives, I can think of several family members flashing in my mind, mind's eye right now, is have claimed Christ, have been baptized, but are, are no repentance in their life. Father, let us extend a hand of grace, but a grace that shares the gospel of Christ. Father, for those Christians here who seriously are saved, that are truly in you, but are struggling, thank you that you will, as Hebrews 12 says, discipline us, put a cage around us for the glory and the holiness of your name so that it shows, it proves once for all that we are part of your family. Father, I pray for our church with wisdom, pastoral, biblical wisdom, led by your spirit as we deal with many of these situations. Father, this is a hard text, but it's so abundantly clear. Give us grace. Father, thank you for each of these here today. They're dear to us as staff. They're dear to us as Christians. Father, they're dear to you more so. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.